This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Burn Everything Gaming. Follow a completely original Star Trek story told in the style of an RPG. That's role-playing game for you people, not ITK. Find them at burneverythinggaming.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 221, Relics. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray, and I need 20 minutes to tell you what we do each week, but we don't have 20 minutes, so there's no use crying about it. I'll just say that each week we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up. This week, Relics, the episode of Next Gen with Scotty. <laughs> need you say more? No, but I will. There's also a Dyson Sphere. Oh, yeah. Need you say more? Nope. Oh, okay. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, a word from Blue Apron. I don't know about you, but I stink at putting together a menu. I mean, I can come up with, like, a good main course. I can do that, dude. Like, I can uh-huh. make, like, okay. all kinds of, like, things that other things would go with. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, coming up with those other things and preparing those other things... Not my forte. So you might be like, I'll have the mac and cheese with the mac and cheese. That might be. <laughs> or stop that, because it, <laughs> that is a meal in itself. Okay. okay. No, I'm thinking like, like, like I, you know, like a, like a nice chicken breast, mm-hmm. and we're done. Okay. <laughs> well, so this is one of the many cool things about Blue Apron. Uh, they make cooking simple with the recipe card and the ingredients measured out for a main dish and sides. And at prices that are more than reasonable. Blue Apron meals will run you under 10 bucks per person per meal. Yeah. So the whole thing's like, you know, involved, but not overly involved. Because mm-hmm. even with just, you know, the main thing and the things to go with the main thing, uh, their goal is to have you sitting and eating in 45 minutes or less, uh, you know, start to finish. And there's plenty of other stuff to try as well. You can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or Blue Apron has a team that will pick your meals for you. And uh, they're not going to pick the same thing week after week. In fact, they can't because they they only use a recipe once in a year. That's one of my favorite things about it is I, I like the element of surprise. <laughs> I, I like just I like just getting a fresh meal that that I can cook and then enjoy. And, and I didn't actually pick out what it was. It's fantastic. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Start today at blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, we haven't done the pictures of John's food thing in a while. You gonna, are you going to do should. that or what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you have tried Blue Apron and want to send us pictures of your food or, you know, a good plate of macaroni and cheese, I'm not overly picky. <laughs> uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That's where you can send us comments. That's where you can send us questions. That is where you can send us pictures and stuff as well. 
If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can't really leave pictures there, but the truth is we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. You can, by the way, leave word pictures there. In case you're looking to, our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, I don't want to spoil the whole trivia thing, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of trivia that I think people might have missed uh, in this episode. Uh, uh, Captain Scott yeah. was actually a character from the original series of Star Trek. Oh, wait. Oh, hmm. he wasn't captain then. So you might have missed okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should rewrite this then. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Trivia for today's episode, Relics. It was written by Ronald D. Moore. And of course, Ron was and is a huge TOS fan. It seemed right. And everyone at the time knew it, that he should write this one. And everyone else basically gave him their blessing. Now, it was directed by Alexander Singer. Yes, we are welcoming a new director to the stable at TNG. Alexander is from New York, and he went to school with his buddy, uh, some up-and-coming other director named Stanley Kubrick. Hmm. Hmm. Now, in the 60s, he was working on TV shows like The Monkees, Man from Uncle, and he did a number of gigs on the Desilu lot for Mission Impossible. Of course, this was right next door to Star Trek, and he was a fan of that series, and he was friendly with Gene Roddenberry. He also wanted to work on that show, but the opportunity never came up. Fast forward about 25 years, and after many more credits in TV, he joins us for a handful of Next Gen, then on to Deep Space Nine and Voyager as a director there. Now let's talk a little bit about the environment of the production and the writer's room at this time. So 1992, Gene is gone. Next Gen was still very solidly at the top of its game and had proven itself over and over with viewers. The hard rule about not tying in plot or character elements from TOS had been relaxed greatly, first by the episode Sarek, then by Unification. The idea of someone caught in a transporter loop was submitted on spec by a non-professional writer, and nobody did anything with it, but that premise alone was solid enough that the idea was purchased. It was assigned to Brandon Braga, but he turned it down so he could focus on a couple of other upcoming episodes— He also felt that since he wasn't really a fan of TOS, it wouldn't be right for him to write it. So the idea eventually fell to Ron Moore. Now the question became who to bring back. Can't do McCoy. We already saw him. Can't bring back Spock. We already saw him too. Kirk, it seemed, wasn't right. There were just too many questions about where he would have been, what he would have been doing. It was decided that out of all the original cast, Scotty would be the most fun. Now, there's some nice interview footage with LeVar Burton and James Dewan shot at the time of this episode. LeVar, in particular, talks about growing up as a fan of Star Trek and his excitement about joining TNG. It was made even more surreal to be in that very small club of chief engineers of the USS Enterprise and meeting someone he knew so well from TV in that role. And you can see that and more on the Blu-rays, like the missing scene. Yes, there is a missing scene famously from this episode. Deanna visits Scotty in his guest quarters. Right after that moment, he's left engineering after his first bad run-in with Jordy. Deanna finds him all is good until she reveals that she is the ship's counselor. He is not into that 
So then he goes to 10 forward. (laughs) Okay, that answers a question that I was going to ask later. Okay, good. We'll bring that question. Where where the heck is Deanna in this episode? No, no, no. That's the answer. She's on the cutting room floor, and that's fine, because it seemed completely ridiculous. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I mean, and we've talked about this. Basically, anytime she's not on the show is a time when she's really needed, right. which is weird because a lot of times when she's on the show, totally superfluous. Yeah, and I'm not. That's not to say anything bad about uh, Marina. Certainly, it's just to say that they don't always seem to know what to do with that character. You know, mm-hmm. unless she has to be violated for some reason. Right. But then there are other times that it's like, wow, it seems like a ship's counselor would have been good here, and mm-hmm. apparently, yeah, and, and it's a good. It's a good little scene. It runs uh, just a few minutes, but apparently the whole episode was running long uh, from the draft by about eight minutes. So they had Mm. to be pretty serious about cutting out stuff. It also answers why in the end, uh, Troy gives Scotty a little kiss as he goes away. Right, yeah. because that was the other thing. I was like, oh, there she is. Why does (laughs) she even know he's here? (laughs) Okay. Right. All right, right, fair enough. Yeah, so um, it was a good scene, but it was just a little too long. And it, it actually answers an interesting question. She says that counselors have been on ships for about 40 years at this point. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So Yeah, because, you know, back in, back in James T. Kirk's days, you roll with it. Yeah, yeah, when you, you really could have used one. Yeah. <laughs> you just take it. That's, yes. that's the Starfleet motto. Well, right. it's the other Starfleet motto. <laughs> right. Now, let's talk about that bridge set created for the holodeck scenes. Um, It is a partial. Uh, There is very clever use here of still frame, digital zoom, and green screen at work here. Also, a looping segment that was pulled from a shot in This Side of Paradise when nobody was on the bridge. Building a new set is wildly expensive, particularly when it is a set that is so well known and so detailed. Keep that in mind. I guess there might be reason to talk about an old school recreation one day again on another series or two. (laughs) Now, the captain's chair, helm and navigation console were actually rented from the person who was making them for a touring exhibition. So that means that only a small section needed to be built for this episode. Alexander Singer was not aware of this, thinking that the whole bridge was being built means he had to learn really fast how to redirect all of the scenes he had plotted out for blue screen and added effects. Um, also, one original idea for this episode would have had TOS characters on that bridge set that was deemed also too expensive to pull off. Now, the USS Janolan is named for the Janolan Caves in Australia. Ron Moore had visited there while at a convention in Sydney. And yes, the Janolan is a Sydney-class vessel. The model we see is a redress of a shuttle used in Star Trek VI. Now, there is a Dyson Sphere. That was an idea, as we learn, first conceived by Freeman Dyson, not the vacuum cleaner guy. So we are about 93 million miles from the sun, us here on Earth. So double that, and you've got the diameter of the Dyson Sphere. And yeah, that means you would have to be going crazy fast to make it from the entry point to the star sitting at its core. So it's an interesting sci-fi concept. And actually, the first person who wrote about it was sci-fi writer Olaf Stapledon in the 1930s. Dyson kind of took that and ran with it. He actually credited Stapledon. And what he proposed in 1960 in the journal Science was that a super-advanced race 
would try to get as much energy from a star as possible, absorbing all kinds of radiation and kicking off infrared. So he suggested looking for large objects that were emitting a lot of infrared energy and not other types of radiation. Now, what he envisioned was actually called a shell, not a sphere, and he saw it as a growing series of bands or connected technologies around a star. The sphere, then, is kind of the ultimate, though far less feasible version of that. And yes, Freeman Dyson has seen this episode, and he called it all nonsense. (laughs) But but he did enjoy it. He did enjoy it. (laughs) Now, uh, guest stars. Well, what could you say? It's Scotty. James Doohan was 72 years old when he played Scotty for this episode of Next Gen. Keep in mind that Star Trek VI had come out the previous year, and he was still not done playing Scotty. He did at least three more video games in character, and who knows, he might even have one more movie in him. Duen was a war hero who started his professional acting career in 1950. It's amusing to me that he first appeared in a sci-fi show in the 1953 Canadian series Space Command. Of course, he first appeared as engineer Montgomery Scott in the second Star Trek pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before. We lost Duen in 2005 after a battle with Alzheimer's disease and pneumonia. In Star Trek, the original series... There were Ethos, Pathos, and Logos. And there was Scotty. Prologue. The Enterprise is responding to a distress call. It's from the Janolan, a Federation ship that disappeared 75 years ago. It looks like it crashed into... Holy crap, is that a Dyson Sphere? Yes, yes it is. Aboard the Reginolan, Riker, Worf, and LaForge find a weak, smelly, but functioning ship with a working transporter, with a pattern in the buffer, with... Holy crap, is that Starfleet Engineer Montgomery Scott? Yes, yes it is. Act 1. Scotty's happy to be out of the transporter, but they gotta get Franklin. Or, you know, not... While Scotty's pattern was fine, Franklin's pattern experienced too much degradation. Scotty is just beginning to wonder how long he was in the transporter when he meets Lieutenant Worf, a Klingon, in a Starfleet uniform. He was in for a while. Aboard the Enterprise, Scotty is all curiosity and old stories. How do you do things now? We used to do them this way. Stories about finding the Dyson Sphere, stories about wrecking the Janolan. Geordi praises Scotty's ingenuity. The transporter pattern buffer thing was absolutely brilliant. Only 50% brilliant in Scotty's estimation. Franklin deserved better. Dr. Crusher gives Scotty a medical once-over. He has a hairline fracture in his arm, but he'll be fine. Captain Picard comes in to see how he is and to ask what he was doing aboard the Janolan. Turns out he wasn't a member of that crew. He was hitching a lift to a planet where he planned to retire. Picard wants to quiz Scotty about the old days... You know, life in the 23rd century. Right now, though, there's ship's business. Picard puts LaForge onto something techy and engineering, and Scotty wants to help. But Dr. Crusher says Scotty needs to rest. He's bummed, but he agrees. Act 2. The Enterprise is studying the Dyson Sphere. It's really big, so that could take a while. They send out probes to check out the structure's far side. 
Scotty, meanwhile, has found his way to engineering. He doesn't want to tour. He wants to work. And he's all curiosity and old stories. And Jordy has already had enough of it. He's got less time for Scotty than the kid who had shown Scotty his quarters. So he does exactly what you would expect Scotty to do. He goes to get drunk. In 10 Ford, <coughs> you call this scotch? Data, who is a barfly for this scene, explains about synthahol. He also says that Guinan keeps some actual alcohol behind the bar. He offers the bottle to Scotty. It is... It is... It is green. And Scotty likes it. Act 3. A slightly inebriated Scotty has taken his bottle of green to the holodeck, and he wants to sit on the bridge of the Enterprise. NCC-1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D. The doors open, and Scotty is visibly moved. He drinks a toast to the friends absent from his bridge. This maudlin moment interrupted by Captain Picard. He just wanted to see how Scotty was doing. Scotty offers Picard a glass of the green, which Picard downs like a champ. He also identifies it as Aldebaran whiskey. He's the one who got it for Guinan, and he'll have another glass. The two share stories of their first loves. For Picard, it's the Stargazer. For Scotty, it's the Enterprise. No bloody A, B, C, or D. Scotty confesses that on Picard's ship, he's just in the way. Picard says he could spend some time studying, learn what he's missed, and keep working, though Scotty says he's a bit old for that. He belongs on his Enterprise. But his Enterprise is gone. He tells the computer to turn off the simulation. It's time you start acting his age. In his ready room, Picard has a job for Geordi. See what records you can get from the Janolan. And take Scotty with you. See, Scotty's feeling kind of useless, and I'd like for him to feel useful. This is not an order. It's just a request. Feel free to say no. But can you take Scotty along and make him feel better, please? Geordi says he'll go with Scotty to the Janolan. Okay, he'll take a slightly hungover Scotty to the Janolan. While they're gone, the Enterprise will check out a communications array on the far side of the Dyson Sphere. Open a channel and, whoops, he seemed to have triggered a door and a set of tractor beams. Unable to break away, the ship is pulled in to the Dyson Sphere. Act 4. Inside the Dyson Sphere is beautiful. Not that anyone has time to notice that. The tractor beams, which have now released the ship, overloaded the Enterprise engines. The momentum created by pulling the ship in has left the Enterprise hurtling towards the star at the sphere's center. On the Janolan, Scotty's getting frustrated. The equipment is old, obsolete. Yeah, says Geordi, but it's not that the stuff is useless. It's just that things have advanced a bit. Just because something's old doesn't mean you throw it away. Suddenly, Scotty has an idea on how to get the info they need from the Janolan. Geordi thinks it'll work, but they'll need something from the Enterprise. And that's when they find out that the Enterprise is gone. The Enterprise has stopped its descent into the star, by the way. They're orbiting the star now, and they're working on getting engines back online and figuring out what they can do about who brought them into the sphere. Turns out that would be nothing. Or little. Data thinks the Enterprise accidentally tripped an automated entrance system that guided them in. The sphere's inhabitants appear to have moved on probably to get away from the unstable star at the sphere's center. You know, the star around which the Enterprise is in fairly close orbit. 
the Enterprise can last about three hours against the flares and the star's instability. Back on the Janola, and Geordi has a crazy idea. They need to get this ship running again so they can track the Enterprise. Scotty does the Scotty thing, saying it cannot be done, but it has to. So they will. Let's get to work. Act 5. Scotty and Geordi get the Janolan running again, and they figure out what happened to the Enterprise as well, that it was drawn into the Dyson Sphere unwillingly, that hailing the communications array must have triggered the autonomous entry. So they'll need to open the hatch as well. They'll do it from out of range of the tractor beams, though. With nothing to tractor beam in, the hatch doors will close, which is when the two chief engineers will make their move. They'll fly the shielded Janolan toward the hatch, jamming it between the closing doors, giving the Enterprise an exit. It works, and it works, and uh, there's a problem. The Janolan is blocking the exit. No big deal. The Enterprise will beam Geordi and Scotty out of the Janolan, destroy the empty ship, pass through the hatch, and be on their merry way. It works, and it works, and it works. Time for Scotty to say his goodbyes. As a parting gift, Picard gives Scotty one of the shuttles from the Enterprise. An extended loan, according to the captain. Since he lost his ship saving the Enterprise, it only seems fair. It should get Scotty to his retirement. But retirement, he says, is for old people. He's decided he's not ready for that just yet. The end. Hey, so there's some little pieces of trivia that I kind of saved. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really neat is that they have the original transporter effects. And and yes, actually the original film elements from the transporter effects from TOS, they stuck it in there to beam Scotty back into the Janolan. Yeah. Really? You're going to make me be that guy, huh? You're going to make me be that guy? You're going to be the guy? I have to be the guy. I love right. the old. I love the sound for the old transporter. It was great. I love the look mm-hmm. of the old effect. It does not belong on the Janolan. I know. I know. It's it's years and years and years <laughs> after right. the fact. <laughs> right. Because on the Enterprise, on the refit Enterprise, they already mm-hmm. were not using that effect. Right. And then if you're saying this was this was a shuttle that was used in Star Trek Six. Yes. So that's about twenty years after the refit Enterprise, right? Right. Okay. When we already had very different. Effect. Yes, the I mean, original it's original transporter Look, effect. <laughs> I know, it's a cute nod. I appreciate yeah. the fact that it's a cute nod, but like in an episode that's bound to break the timeline, which is okay, yeah. then yeah. they break it even further. And I'm like, okay, that's really cute, but well, I John know. will mention it. I'm like, John will mention it, so I'll just be able to say, oh, I love that. <laughs> and John will say, actually, it should have been. But you made me the guy. I made you the guy. Yeah, yeah. fine. I, I know. By this time, we should have had a whole transporter thing where they're talking to each other. And <laughs> exactly. they're, you know, one guy's like handing a sandwich to another guy while they're beaming in and out. And yeah, Scotty should have come out going, get the space worms off me. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, speaking of being that guy, so many references just mm-hmm. so many. They're all over. It's just lousy with reference. Alan of Troyes, Wolf in the Fold. Oh, he had a wee bit of trouble when, yeah, he was, you know, possessed by Red Jack. Uh, Galaxy's <laughs> Child. And, of course, it's green from, by any other name, a little throwback right. to that. It's really, it's like a whole, like a mission log drinking game based around references in that episode. It is, but it was, it, it didn't bother me so much. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Because maybe it should have. Because Scotty mm-hmm. had many more missions than we saw, certainly. But, of course, he only remembers the ones that we saw. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's convenient. 
I had a weird question, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have no idea what's happened to Uhura at this point. Probably passed on. Right. Uh, Sulu, Chekhov, most everybody, um, we would imagine, has already, you know, gone their ways. As mm-hmm. far as uh, as far as Scotty knows, actually. Right. Um, and this is really getting weird timeline-wise. But as far yeah. as Scotty knows, Kirk was killed on the Enterprise A. Right. Well, here's the thing, though. Kirk yeah. would have been killed on the Enterprise B. B. I'm sorry, not the A, the B, right. Right, right. Yes. The B. So as far as he knows, that's what happened to Kirk. So Kirk's dead, as far as he knows. But that movie hasn't come out yet. That movie hasn't come out yet, but that's already happened to Scotty. Except that he doesn't know that. He does. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. He would have assumed yeah. that everybody was dead. The one person who might still be alive is Spock. And what I found myself wondering is, would Spock want to see Scotty? Mm-hmm. Scotty would definitely want to see Spock because mm-hmm. Scotty very much wants something that harkens back to days of yore. Sure. And Spock would probably be like, Mr. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And that's right. it. That would probably be yeah. the whole thing. He might be curious how Mr. Scott survived, but after that, you yep. know, then it's like, oh, back to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, there was actually a draft of that scene, and I mentioned the missing scene with uh, Deanna, mm-hmm. and there was actually a draft of um, Scotty having a conversation, and, and I believe it's Deanna who brings up the idea of saying, hey, I, I bet you're curious about other people that you knew. Right. And what happened to them and he kind of <laughs> he kind of isn't because he's like assuming dead. that they're all dead, dead. yeah dead. yeah right um uh, apparently that made it into the novelization um but we don't discuss books on our show yeah i don't <laughs> so, even think books are real that's right. how much we don't talk about them <laughs> right yeah. right um very important question mm-hmm. is there still not a hangover cure for real alcohol in the 24th century why would there be uh, because real alcohol still exists. It's still yeah, a thing. But mostly people are drinking synthahol. I, I love Scotty's line, actually. Don't get drunk unless you're willing to pay for it the next day. He, <laughs> yeah. And he's not wrong. He's he's very much, yeah, know what yes. you're doing before you go in. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the hangover cure. Is yeah, Move the, that the hang- to the morals, messages, and meanings. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So the hangover cure is make sure that, you know, whatever happens the next day doesn't necessarily have to happen the next day. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that you don't have to be 100%. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, Stick I, with me, kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad that you mentioned Aldebaran whiskey because there, this is another in a long line of references to Aldebaran. Should have mentioned that with the other references, of which there, again, did I say that there are many? There are many references to things um, as they're drinking. What I think is uh, Ecto Cooler um, kind of looks like it. Okay. Um, you know, oh wow! Aldebaran really? Whiskey. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was nineteen ninety two. I was so yeah. I was thinking, wow, Picard like has a really practiced like you know hard liquor drink there, or, mm-hmm. or Patrick Stewart does. And then mm-hmm. I thought that's probably like Gatorade. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's probably like he's probably actually having to choke that down the way he would hard liquor. Yes. Yes. Because it's disgusting. Exactly. I wonder though. I, I think this is our first real description of Synthahol. So obviously hmm. there are mentions of it in family and transfigurations and family. Uh, you know, of course, we're hearing about how the real thing is the real thing and how dare you drink that terrible synthahol. Family, of course, being the one where Picard goes back to the winery that his goes family back runs. to France. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, right. And they're growing and making, you know, growing grapes and making wine the old fashioned way, making real wine. Yeah. But 
I did wonder, I think this is the first time we actually just hear a description of what Synthahol does. You know, we, we've heard Worf say, less talk, more Synthahol. <laughs> he did that in Transfigurations. <laughs> but I think this is the first time we've actually heard Data say, here's what it does, and you can get rid of the effects, and now, you know, that becomes our understanding of Synthahol. Oh, yeah. I guess we could have inferred that from before. Um, now, I love this. that Scotty, of course, revealed to Captain Kirk in Star Trek III how he keeps his reputation as a miracle worker. You don't have eight weeks, so I'll do it in two. Yeah. So <laughs> it's pretty nice. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I like, and, and Scotty's whole, oh, you didn't tell them how long it would actually take, did you? <laughs> it's like it's like one magician to another. You didn't show him the trick. Right. Right. He must have. He figured that out sometime back in the Academy. Yep. And they just have been lying ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Exaggerating. Mm-hmm. See, there, there's a throwback to a, yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. He lied. I exaggerated. Lass. All right. Um, I really like the the scene where Picard is sending uh, Geordi to do something he very much doesn't want to do. But, of course, Picard's not actually sending him to do it. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, kind of. Right. <laughs> this right. is not an order. It's just a friendly request from the guy who controls your future and could make that future a living hell. Can you <laughs> do me a favor, please? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. As long as as long as I'm deciding. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, see how that comes back when Jordy comes to Picard one day. Uh, Captain, could you, I know you outrank you, could you do me Silence. a favor? Nope, nope, I can't. <laughs> I'm the captain. <laughs> exactly. Favors are not my thing. Right. Yeah. I would never ask you for a favor. Yeah. I would give you an order <laughs> or, you know, ignore you like I'm doing right now. Right. So I know that he's being facetious, but there's something really funny to me about Riker describing the front door of the Dyson Sphere. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's kind of funny to me because they describe this thing as being 200 million miles in diameter. <laughs> right. And I'm picturing, like, say you go to the Pentagon one day and, and you want to visit and you want to take the tour, but everybody has to squeeze through one little window that is just big enough for a person to shimmy through it. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of the equivalent, only even not as much. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a... Well, yeah, we can talk more about the Dyson Sphere. I think we should. There's one thing I did think about it, though. I'd never want to live in a Dyson Sphere. Why is that? Sunny all the time. There'd be yeah. no sleep. There would be no, I mean, you would have to get used to it. And look, I'm a guy practiced at sleeping in the daytime, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But seriously, if there was no darkness ever, I think I might go mad. You know, it's interesting because they fly through and you see where, cause they say you basically have like a Class M atmosphere on the inside of the Dyson Sphere. Right. So obviously all that's built up, and you could be on, say, a mountaintop, and you see the sun in the middle of the Dyson Sphere. Could you go the other direction? Could you just work your way through, like, the corridors and take an elevator or something and end up on the outside level of the Dyson Sphere? See, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. I have another question. Okay. Okay, first of all, it's kind of funny, actually, Picard saying, can we blast our way through Really? Because, you know, people were living here. I think really what they probably wanted to do was make sure that the answer to that question was no. not. Yeah, Yeah. because then somebody could blast their way in from the outside as well. And then everybody gets sucked out into space. And that's a bad day. Yeah. Um, Where did those people go? (laughs) Yeah, because there was a lot of very smart, very capable people. Yep. With just a boatload of resources mm-hmm. and by boatload i mean you know at least three boatloads because they built boats. a thing yeah around yeah. the star yeah yeah, yeah that, they're just gone now 
That's a great question. That's a good thing that there is a science vessel, a couple of science two, vessels. Two science back vessels. Go check, check it out. out. Yep. Yeah. Maybe they could find the manual. <laughs> Very important. Hey, um, I wondered, is a shuttle from a starship the kind of thing you can just give away? Like, if you're the captain of the Enterprise, can you just give away a shuttle? Because that is awesome if that's the case. Like, if I were taking a tour of an aircraft carrier <laughs> and someone said, well, John, I hope you enjoyed the tour. Now, here's an F-14 for you to take home. Well, here's the thing, though. You would have to blow up your plane first. Oh, okay. that was the okay, deal. Got it. Got like, it. Oh, yeah. well, you wrecked your ship, saving mm-hmm. our ship, so we'll give you another okay. ship. <laughs> If you land on an aircraft carrier, they're not just going to let you, well, you know, your plane's fine. Why don't you just take one of ours? <laughs> well, I could, I could leave mine behind, you know. <laughs> I, I know. I, yeah. I understand the deal okay. that you're trying to make here. I'm yeah. just thinking it wouldn't really work. Okay. I, I did have one other question, by the way, about the Janolin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they say, hey, we're, so we're stuck here. And if and we can't move, so you're going to have to you know, beam us out mm-hmm. and then blow up our ship. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to get out. And Picard's like, okay. And he calls down to the transporter and says, beam him out. Mm-hmm. Fire photons. <laughs> and then I went to the transporter chief to go, okay, I've got a lock on them. Right. <laughs> to clarify, I know that ethos, pathos, and logos were not actual characters. I also know that there were more than four characters on the show. There was Uhura, and Sulu, and Chekhov, and Call, and Rand, and Chapel. We'll get to the rich and meaty part of our discussion in just a moment. Uh, But first, we do have a, a special sponsor to tell you about this week. Yes, all of our sponsors are special, but this one's extra special. Uh, Burn Everything Gaming. John... Why don't you tell people what makes them extra special? So, well, look, here's one of the cool things about doing Mission Log, and that is meeting other Star Trek fans and meeting other podcasters. So this week, we welcome as a sponsor, Burn Everything Gaming. This is such a great idea. Star Trek fans playing their own original RPG based on the Fate gaming system. It's sort of like improvised audio drama in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, so I got to confess that I haven't had a lot of time to listen to the show yet. I've listened to some of it. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a whole lot more, though. I am. I didn't grow up playing role-playing games, but I played them a lot in my early 20s. And I've lately just been dying to play again. And I'm bugging friends about it. Friends who, by the way, don't play RPGs. <laughs> That's why <laughs> it's bugging them as opposed to talking to them about it. Um and and listening to just the the little bits of the show that I've listened to has actually ramped up my desire to play again uh, several notches. Um, if you've never played an RPG, Star Trek Episode One, uh, Intro to Fate and the Academy will give you a good idea of, of the way these stories are told and the way games are played. Um, if you just want to get straight into the story, then you might want to fast forward a little bit because, I mean, they actually are, it, I mean, it really is interesting because if you're somebody who has wondered about role-playing games, what they are, how they work, you know, aside from the satanic panic of the 1970s associated with D&D, <laughs> this episode will actually give you an idea of how this one particular system works, but it gives you a general idea of, of how the whole thing goes, plus you meet the characters, and, and then you get into the fun times. 
Yeah, well, it's great. It takes place between the original series and Next Gen. Specifically, uh, they're narrowing in on the years 2296 to 2320, and they follow four characters. And like I said, you think of it like an audio drama. So they're playing this original game, creating this original story, but they cut out any of the dead spaces and produce it like a show. (laughs) And you get to follow it in podcast form. Yeah. So I love this. Our, Our main characters... The, you have a Tellarite, a Trill, a half-human, half-Vulcan, and Jane Canton, quote, the sleepy human who just wants to see the universe, and I can absolutely identify with that. I got to say, too, you, you really have to appreciate the fact that they edit out the dead spaces, because if you yes. ha- ever have played an RPG, you know there might be a few. Somebody needs Pepsi, somebody needs Entenmann's cookies. <laughs> the games can go on first. I mean, like, like seriously, I used to play and sessions would take four hours. And you know, like these episodes are, I'd say, between 45 minutes and an hour, I think is mm-hmm. what it looked like, because, you know, they're cutting out me getting up to go get Pepsi and Entenmann's. Um, John says you can think of it as an audio drama, and that is true. Um, there's an element of unpredictability about it, though. I mean, they come in with the outline of a story, but but then you've got, you know, like dice that are deciding what happens with people. And you also have people deciding what happens with people. So, like, if, if one of them sees something on the wall that interests them, again, for people who've never played, something as small as that can send an adventure in a completely different direction. So, yes, it's a story. But nobody knows how the story is going to go when it starts, necessarily. You've got an idea, but you don't know for certain. And and then, like I say, they're recording it, which is just insane. (laughs) So here's what's great. You get to support other Star Trek fans and another great podcast by checking out burneverythinggaming.com slash mission log original star trek stories created by fans for fans again at burneverythinggaming.com slash mission log and we thank them sincerely for their support of this week's mission log so ken let's talk about characterization here because that's really such a huge part of this episode it's really just about getting to know scotty again and and sort of feeling his journey on this new enterprise Scotty and Shorty are very different people, Mm -hmm. have the same job, essentially. Um, Scotty feels this soulful kind of poetic kinship with his engine room and with his ship. Shorty is kind of a computer nerd. He he loves his ship, but not the way Scotty does. Mm -hmm. Shorty is a little uptight. Scotty is really loose. (laughs) You know, Scotty is full of confidence. At least he was full of confidence. Jordy has never been that guy. Hmm. You know, he, he's okay with kind of solving a, a math problem, say, but Jordy is not really the guy who's just going to, you know, slide up to the bar at 10 forward and start pounding back shots. <laughs> that is not him. <laughs> right. You know, um, and, and Jordy is also not really, we get that little moment at the end where they're, they're finally relaxed enough around each other. Um, but Jordy's not the guy who's just going to sort of, go up to a stranger and start telling a story. Maybe that's good, but but mm. it, it was interesting to me to see how different they absolutely were. You ever do you, do you know any mechanics? I, I not that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, I have a pretty good relationship with the mechanic who works on my car, but you know, we we don't hang out. Not what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so like my dad um lives lived is still around a small town in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And one of his best friends in this town is, is this, is this mechanic. 
Mm-hmm. And like I I've, I've been by his place before and seen like you know boat motors out and just like all kinds of stuff and he's got like right now probably I haven't been there in the past several months but right now probably he's still got an MG sitting there that he can actually go in and work on. Mm-hmm. And then when you bring in something from like 1995 or later yeah he's like well I can take a look at this or I can take a look at that but it's all computers past a certain point and I don't even know anymore. Right. And that's right. kind of like Scotty right. and Jordy in a way. Like you, you take your place to your dealer and your guy knows something. Don't misunderstand mm-hmm. me, but he's not going to have the same kind of feel for it. That somebody working on a 1960, 1970, even up to late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. they're going to, I mean, because there's, there's a lot more mechanical about it. And, and even though we're talking about starships and we're talking about warp cores, you get the sense that, that Scotty is that mechanic in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> that I still know, and Jordy is, you know, Jordy is the guy at your dealership. Well, well, I like that though. I mean, I, 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 I've never actually been on a starship. Don't know about you, Ken. Mm, several times, several times. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but, but I've been on real ships, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, I've seen the engine room of an 80 year old ocean liner, and I've seen the engine room of a 10 year old ocean liner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, kind of the the idea may be the same, but there's not a whole lot of uh, corresponding technology that you could just sort of transplant somebody from 75, 80 years ago and say, here, go to it. Right. Start working. You know, <laughs> you absolutely cannot do that. There was a there was an interesting juxtaposition, actually a few juxtapositions about which I was wondering in this episode, um, mm-hmm. which I kind of broke down into um, Scotty versus LaForge. Kirk versus Picard and 60s television or sci-fi versus 90s television or sci-fi. And this all comes down to like one, one central thing. Um, There's a difference between uh, the command style, certainly of Jim Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard. Oh, sure. And it's illustrated in this one thing that Scotty says, uh, starship captains want everything. The secret is to give them everything they need, not everything they want. And on the one hand, you can say this is a difference between uh, LaForge and Scotty. I mean, Scotty says, how are you going to build your reputation as a miracle worker? And LaForge is not interested in being a miracle worker. Right. Um, But (sighs) I don't know if that's a difference between Scotty and LaForge or a difference between what's expected of them by their respective captains or if it's just a difference between 60s television and 90s television. Um, Go back to the next phase which was the episode where, theoretically, assuming it actually happened, where, where <laughs> Roe and LaForge, you know, were, were sort of out of phase with everyone else. They're wandering around the Enterprise. Roe thinks they're dead. It's that one. Right. And there's actually a dangerous Romulan uh, on the ship, which is almost unheard of. Um, you can make the case, you know, with the thing that Picard said about the first time he met Geordi in the next phase, you know, when he thought everybody was dead, that he, like, thought he heard something, and the next day he got up and Geordi had, like, like fixed everything. Mm-hmm. Apparently, because he wanted to impress uh, Picard. But, I mean, Picard doesn't make outlandish requests. He performs admirably, and he expects everyone else to perform admirably. Jim Kirk performs heroically, and I wonder then if he expects everyone else to perform heroically. In other words, did he create Scotty's, like, I gotta be a miracle worker? Hmm. <laughs> and and hmm. I don't know, it just it, it just sort of got me wondering. It was It was... There was that whole thing about, you know, what Starship captains want. Because there's no way, like, if Picard said, I want this by 0800, yeah. and Geordi, you know, gave him half of what he wanted by 0800, 
Picard would, <laughs> Picard would have him on the next shuttle off. Yeah. He would just be yeah. like, no, this is not what I asked for, because, because what he asked for is what he needs. Yeah. Not, not you know, not, not heroics. Yeah. No, that's very true. So there is something that I felt, I don't know, maybe this is better for the next segment, but I feel like I have to bring it up now. But to me, there is something just a little bit off about Scotty that, that kind mm-hmm. of bothers me throughout the episode. So he's been in a transporter loop for 75 years to, right. to us, right? But to him, he's walking and talking just a split second after he was dematerialized. You know, it's instantaneous for him. Um, He was a perfectly capable engineer up to that moment that he got Mm -hmm. beamed away. Now, I realize that he is out of place 75 years in the future, but he's also not an idiot. And I can't remember that he ever sort of harangued the people around him in his own time. Now, I know that there's an emotional component going on here, and maybe we needed that Deanna scene. Maybe we needed a couple of Deanna scenes because he goes from jovial Scotty, oh, it's so good to have him back, to pretty much every five minutes reminding people that he's older and that he was doing things when their grandfathers were children. Mm-hmm. So, look, I, I know that I've joked about Buck Rogers on our show before. <laughs> there's, there's a lot in that show to joke about. But when that show was really good, it was about what it does to a person who has lost everything he knows and has to put something resembling a life back together. And mm-hmm. and that journey can be painful or touching or rewarding. It can be all sorts of things that that go into rebuilding that character. And I feel like we essentially in this episode get two modes of Scotty, which is overeager and melancholy. Now, we have a reconciliation at the end, but I feel like there is a lot of repetitive overeager and melancholy with with Scotty. He's he's not just interested in engineering, he's reckless in engineering. And he he's sort of rambling in ways that he never used to. It, it, it's sort of strange to watch. Um <laughs> You mean like when he opens the part of the warp core? Yeah, like when he opens up yeah. part of the warp core. And, and I don't feel that there's much awe in his voice either. So remember, this is the guy who was fascinated at the idea of a warp engine the size of a walnut. That that just absolutely floated his boat. He could not stop obsessing about that, or at least we could not stop obsessing about the idea of Scotty obsessing about a warp engine the size of a walnut. So now he's just a guy who's touching things and taking things apart and talking people's ears off. Scotty that I remember was Scotty who would walk into this engine room and say, wow, show me everything. I want to know how, Mm. give me technical manuals. I want to know how this works. I think Scotty changed after Star Trek Three. So once you get up to and and you've done Star Trek Three, then the voyage home was light and comedic, and it seems like we never quite got back to the awesome professional that Scotty was. So oh, I well, yeah? I don't know. Really, I don't know. I mean, Scotty was never never a central character except for like in a few episodes, like Wolf in the Fold or things like that. Uh, we we try not to remember that one, but but remember, Star Trek Five Scotty was the guy who banged his head into a bulkhead. 
And was suddenly in love with Uhura. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty was not treated well in Star Trek V, and I barely remember him in Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. Star Trek IV, though, he took it upon himself to completely uh, screw with the Prime Directive. Sure. Right? Sure. I mean, because they have a mission to do. And so he, from his head, designed, or, or at least calls up the schematic in his head of transparent aluminum mm-hmm. and draws it on a circa 1985 computer. <laughs> Which is right? pretty great. An underpowered great. Mac. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Star Trek Four was a much lighter... Uh, episode, mm-hmm. if you'll forgive me for using that mm-hmm. term, Star Trek Four was a much lighter episode for just about everyone anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, to say that this goes back to what we were saying about Troy a couple of weeks ago, or last week maybe, that you can't draw a line, you know, through the whole thing, especially with the character, especially with one of the original series characters into next gen. Because, I mean, what? Spock is a well-studied character. Sure. And Spock is a well-realized character. Spock is probably the best realized character from TOS because he gets to go through decades and because people had an idea of who he was. We thought that, you know, the the love scene or the or the theoretical relationship between Uhura and Scotty was ludicrous mm-hmm. because it was. Yeah. But you could do that with Scotty because we didn't study Scotty the way we studied um, McCoy or or Spock or Kirk. And even Kirk, I mean, even Kirk is malleable. Yeah, sure. He's, he's you know, really soul-searching and, and doing, like, tons of depth in Star Trek Two, and talking about LDS in Star Trek Four mm-hmm. and facing off with God in Star Trek Five because you, you can write him, he's always going to be the hero, but otherwise you can write, write him a million different ways. Um, so I mean to say that Scotty changed, he is one of many characters who's like, because he is not sitting in the big chair might be ill-treated in any given week. It just depends <laughs> on what you need to have happen in that week. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, you're absolutely right. Right. Uh, that's absolutely true. I, I feel like for some reason, and maybe it's simply because of when this was written. Here is an episode from 1992. What we just saw of Scotty, like you mentioned, was Star Trek VI. Not that memorable. Mm-hmm. Star Trek V, memorable for the wrong reasons. Really? And Star Trek IV, a little out of step. Star Trek IV, totally enjoyable, totally fun, but definitely skewing toward lighter, funnier shtick. And, 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 yet, and yet I would call him a hero in that episode. Sure. Yeah. Although everybody yeah. was a hero. In the everybody. Episode, except, everybody had their except, moment. Yeah. Except maybe for Spock. Well, no, actually, Spock is the one who talks to the whales. Yeah, so, yeah, everybody is a hero moment. in yeah, that episode. Yeah. yeah. So, no, that, that's just the kind of thing that didn't fully sit right with me. And and maybe part of it is that there are things in the episode that are repetitive. We come back to it. Uh, we, we get those same kind of moments with Scotty a few times. And then part of that thing applies to Geordi as well. We get capable Geordi. And then we get Jerk Geordi, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jerk Geordi has to be taken down a notch by Picard, fortunately, with that, hey, this is a request. I'm your friend. It's not an order. Do this, you right. know? Isn't that kind of always the way with Geordi, though? I mean, think about yeah, the first yeah. time we saw Reg Barkley. Oh, sure. Like, Geordi is like one of the nicest, most affable people you'll ever meet. And then he meets Barkley, and he's like, I want him off my ship. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just like I mean, he's like he has no time for 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 him at all. Yeah, I mean, you do you do basically get Jordy either in the on position or the off position. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, look to me, the best scene in the whole thing is Scotty talking to Picard. He's drunk, but he's sane. He, he's more sane there 
than he has mm-hmm. been up, up until that point. And there's something obviously very heartbreaking that Scotty doesn't feel like he belongs, that he has to live in the past or act his age, which is sort of uh, a construct, you know, it's sort of a made up thing for him. Um, but I will say you know, his description about knowing the speed of, by feeling the deck plates, that's awesome. That, that felt like such a real world thing for a guy who has been on a ship to know. And Chapel. And Noel, and Astrum, and Abraham Lincoln. Then we get to the foils, like Harry Mudd, and Baylock, and Landrew, and Dr. Roger Corby, and the Gorn, and Trelane, and Apollo. In the repetitive nature uh, exhibited in this episode, we only need an hour to tell you whether we think the episode holds up, but we don't have an hour, so there's no use crying about it. <laughs> See, because jokes are good, like four or five times in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, relics, John. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? I, this is a tough one for me because I, I feel like I, I feel like I was maybe complaining about the things that that annoyed me that maybe other people didn't really care about, mm-hmm. um, and and they didn't totally sour my enjoyment of the episode. I came to this wanting to love this episode, and and I do see why so many people love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't. I don't love it. And I am a fan of James Doohan, and I'm a fan of Scotty. This episode, to me, as a production, as a script, it, it feels like a premise in search of a story. So it's lovely to see an old friend, and it's wonderful to build continuity with the original series. But ultimately, it kind of feels like fan fiction, there are so many on-the-nose references throughout. It's like I said, we're back to our drinking game or Star Trek bingo. Um, there are a lot of moments that, as I mentioned before, feel repetitive. Mm-hmm. Scotty telling you how old and how experienced he is, and then people getting fed up with Scotty. We, we go through that a few too many times. Now, that said, there are wonderful, delightful moments in this episode. For me, it's not so much about being on the old bridge it's about the conversation Scotty is having with Picard. Um, you could have done that anywhere, and it would have been great. Doing it on the old bridge is a sort of icing on the cake. Jordy and Scotty reconciling on the Janolan is great. It's a wonderful scene, even if it's a little too on the nose. For some reason, I just feel like the episode never quite hits that moment of being greater than the sum of the parts. Hmm. So it doesn't really hold up for me. I could take scenes and they hold up. And, and just the idea of James Doohan being there as Scotty, that holds up. But as a script, it doesn't really work for me. I'm I'm sorry to say. Don't, don't hate me, people who write into the show. <laughs> you know, um, I, I still enjoyed it, but I'm not crazy about it. So please, please correct me if I'm wrong, Ken. Well, I can't correct you if you don't think it holds up. Um, I actually do. I I think Mm -hmm. it does, uh, with a bit of a caveat. Uh, We've gotten after-school special episodes before. Some are better than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, Parts of Scotty definitely don't work. Like the whole, like like you say, it's 10 minutes ago, Mm -hmm. as far as he's concerned, except he immediately goes from... Yeah, sure, he's aging, and he was on his way to retirement, but he immediately goes from working engineer to crotch the old man. Yeah. I was doing voices for cartoons when you were too young to watch cartoons, you know? <laughs> All right. Um, I was this when you, were do, when you were that. I mean, it doesn't really work. Yeah. 
There are a lot of lines and a lot of things presented here that are very after-school special, but I think the message is actually a good one. Um, and then it gives us a bunch of other stuff that I really do like. I actually, I had to edit my recap as I was writing it because I realized I was writing hmm. for the end of the show. Um, okay. Uh, on the Janolan subtext, this equipment is old, obsolete. Scotty's talking about the Janolan. <laughs> Yeah, says Jordy, but it's not that this stuff is useless. It's just that things have advanced a bit. Uh, Jordy is talking about the Janola, and, and 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 Ronald D. Moore is writing about people. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and unfortunately, when you're going to do a message like that, I I can see where it would be difficult to sort of get out of your own way. I'll be mm-hmm. honest, and I've been looking for the title of the episode, and I can't remember the title of the episode, but the. The episode with LQ, Sonny Clemens, and Ralph Offenhaus, and the insufferable the Claire Kramer. Yes, right, neutral, neutral zone. zone. Thank you. <laughs> insufferable. Didn't, isn't that what we said? Yeah, I, I think that's the word. Yeah. yeah. Um, that actually sort of told the same kind of story, right? Offenhaus mm-hmm. is boorish and terrible, but he also calls the Romulans on their stuff. <laughs> and right, Riker's like, right, get out of yeah. here. And Picard's like, oh, no, wait a minute. He's actually right. I mean, we're kind of getting the same message again. The problem is that message was almost too subtle in the neutral zone, and mm-hmm. it's maybe a little too over the top here. But it gives us so much other great stuff. I mean, it gives us back um, it gives us back Scotty. It gives us Picard on the original bridge. Right. Um, it gives us the interior of a Dyson sphere. And holy crap, <laughs> you know, it gives us the Dyson sphere. Uh, like, who are those people? Where did they go? What is this going to tell us? I mean, all of a sudden, honestly, that I've talked about this before. Um, Ian Banks was an amazing science fiction author. And he writes about worlds that are completely constructed, and they were completely constructed by other societies so long ago that nobody even knows about the societies anymore. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows who they were. Nobody knows why they were there. They don't know what half the stuff they live on now was originally supposed to do. It was not meant to be a world that sustained life, but it's been there for so long that it's just sort of become that. Um, hmm. And we get that. And we don't normally get that in Star Trek. This is like this weird thing that says, hey, you think you're cool? Yeah, you're cool. But let me show you something really cool. Okay, now now, now go back to going warp nine or whatever it right. is yeah, you Well, do. can I just pose this question that yeah. you, you find this Dyson sphere, right? Yep. Which is massive. It's the biggest thing that anybody in the Federation, it was bigger than anything that they would even conceive of, right? right? Not Huge. since V'ger has there been something this big. Not since V'ger, right. And, uh, and, and now V'ger's gone, you know, so we, we don't know where V'ger is. <laughs> right. but, but here's this Dyson sphere. I, I mean... How soon before the Federation or many species of the Federation just move in? Look, mm-hmm. it's ready. You got mountains. You got houses. No. You got a sewer system. You got you're, a hospital. You're forgetting about the uh, sun that's really unstable in the middle of it, though. Some people might like that. Making it uninhabitable is my guess. Making it completely uninhabitable. Okay. Or, or how long before the Ferengi show up and start stripping it apart and selling the parts? Well, that seems more likely. Okay. All yeah. Right. All right. <laughs> It'll take them quite a while to do that. But, I mean, that's that's sort of what's neat. They've now introduced a, a well, like, as cool as we think. It's it's like when we used to come across the God-type beings in TOS. We don't see those mm-hmm. nearly as much now, but who was it? The, the Metrions? Yeah. Or the Metrons? I can't Metrons, remember. Yeah. Metrons, yeah. They're like, yeah, you're cool, but come back in, like, 5,000 years. Okay, this is that on a technological level. 
Yeah. And and on the one hand, I'm sort of bummed that we don't get more of a treatment of that. On the other hand, I love just that tiny little taste of it. Like we meet mm. the Borg and now we're going to know everything about the Borg. We're going to find out about the Borg. We're going to attack the Borg. We just came across like like the Great Pyramids are a pimple, you know, right, right. <laughs> and it's like and, and now this 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 universe has expanded so much more. With 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 what is practically like backdrop for this episode, yeah. Um, so I'd say for all those reasons, it actually does work. I mean, the weakest part is the characterization. You're not wrong about that. I mean, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, uh, instead of like just treating an episode of the original series to the 24th century, uh, Mr. Moore decided to also uh, shoehorn in the after school special stuff. Like I say, they're important messages, but I can also look past them and actually really enjoy this episode. Well, so so what are the messages then? Because I feel like there's a little bonk bonk on the head. Old people don't one. suck nearly as much as you think they do. <laughs> okay. And I say that as, yeah. as somebody who's, you know, relatively speaking, going to be an old person sooner than a lot of people listening. Mm-hmm. Not, not, you know, as soon as maybe some people listening. <clears throat> but, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's... It's not so much respect your elders. It's just, I don't know. Don't assume that just because, don't assume that just because you're out of sync time-wise with somebody else that they have no value. I mean, I would say probably the same thing is true for, I mean, it's true. If you're old, young people don't suck as much as you think. I mean, Jordy and, 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 um, and, and Scotty have a lot to learn from each other. And once they actually realize that, they can stop like butting heads. They can even stop being cordial, and they can actually start being friends. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one that I pick up. Also, you know, ring the doorbell on the Dyson sphere from as far away as possible. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Don't don't get pulled in. What about you, sir? Other messages? No, I mean, I, I think we're pretty much uh, finding the same types of messages here. Um, I wrote down, you know, respect your elders, listen to their stories and their experience, and if you're an elder respect the youngsters around you listen to their stories and their experience everybody has something to share something of value um and they they're all going about this the wrong way at the beginning of the episode but then by the end we all learn a little something from each other um and to be a little more specific with Scotty, this idea that we all need to feel useful, that no one is obsolete. They actually use that word um, in that scene between uh, Jordy and Scotty on the Janolan mm-hmm. um, in that metaphoric discussion that they're having. Um, but yeah, that, that seems like sort of the worst fate uh, that a person would feel that way, would feel obsolete. So um, yeah, I, I think those are all... Like I said, a little bonk bonk on the head, but certainly still of value. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about all kinds of cool stuff that Roddenberry is up to at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week... Schisms. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. 
N. What of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? N. Transmission.